Hello, Screeters. I'm back in the land of the living. I got some of my energy back. My mojo has returned. Do you guys think clerics suck? Do you guys know what story games means to me and to you if you're listening to this show uh, to give you some context? Do you guys think I'm full of poo-poo? When someone says poo-poo, do you immediately wonder if they mean, oh no, don't bother with that, I'm poo-pooing that, or do they mean fill their underpants with shit? I don't know. What I do know is today is Monday, March 25th, 2019. I am Jason Hobbs, and this is Random Screed. Hey Jason, J.E. Shields. I just want to say I agree with the way that you game master. I think it's uh, so much more important to uh, macro manage instead of uh, micro manage. Know who are your key players, what they're trying to achieve um, in the general area, and then just let the players run. And oftentimes uh, they'll have questions and uh, I don't let them know I don't know. I let them figure it out. And sometimes they have better ideas than I could think up. So um, I love the free form. Uh, keep it up. Bye. And there we have J.E. Shields, a fantastic artist and a guy who uh, puts out public domain type art. That's clip art, I think they call it. Not public domain, but on drive through And uh, he does a lot of art for James Spahn. And in like Untold Adventures and uh, some of those previous white box books. So, J.E., thank you very much for calling in. I uh, saw somewhere that you only listen to podcasts on Anchor. That is pretty awesome. As much as everyone complains about Anchor and how difficult it, you, it is to use, hearing that the only place you listen to podcasts is Anchor is interesting. So that means you don't really listen to Hobbs and Friends because that's not on Anchor cool man i just i'm just curious of the thought process that goes into that uh because there's a lot more podcasts out there than just the osr anchorites or anchor shows but regardless uh, i am on a tangent um yeah i mean i think that uh, what you described is the epitome of sandbox play anybody reading arbit of, of worlds out there i am it seems kind of egotistical, but it's got a lot of good advice and some methodology that uh, you likely could have seen in uh, the core books by the same author. So if you're curious on how to write uh, a setting like J.E. and myself are uh, talking about, check out that book. All right. Thanks for calling in, J.E. Hey, Jason. This is Carl calling. As I have shared, I do like adding these little story elements or narrative elements to character creation to help the characters, the players, have their characters invest into the world. I don't like extremes, however. When I played L5R, for example, the GM had me write like 20 questions down and I answered them all and he never used like the half of them, so I didn't see the point. Maybe a few are better, or even like random roles in a background. I also feel like if a 
GM is going to ask for your take on a certain element or help you to describe something and then kind of shoot you down, that's really not fun either. So I guess there is an extreme, and I will give you another call about the reverse, traditional elements in a story type game. Okay, here is my traditional element in a story type game. So I'm playing 5e. But I'm using, and maybe 5e is not quite a story game, although you need you do like backstory and all that kind of stuff. And some people do say it is because of its out of nature or origin. But um, I've used uh, Eric Hoffman and y'all's uh, Hex Crawl Forlorn Shores procedural in that game, including a hex map for exploration. And the characters really like it. Um, one character has said, "Hey, I want to uncover all this map," and another character has said hey, I wish we had a map to this, where a, where a second character replied, then, no, man, it's exploration. We need to discover it ourselves. So the characters really get into it. Uh, they feel like there's a it's worthwhile and an investment, and they kind of like sometimes the random encounters as they move through a hex. All right, take care. There is a Monday morning twofer from Carl Rodriguez. All right. I actually think I've heard this a couple times where people are comparing 5e to a story game 5e is not a story game in my opinion obviously these are all categories that people talking about games are using there's no official body that decides anything of this uh it's just the people using the vernacular or the jargon to for shorthand to explain what they're talking about it actually created a pretty big hubbub on the audio dungeon discord channel uh when people because people didn't like me using the term story games um and i don't want to get in that too far because i think someone called in and asked about it so what i'm gonna do is say i don't think 5e is a story game it does have backgrounds and you're writing up backgrounds flaws and bonds but the presentation of those mechanisms are not the same as what we're talking about when we talk about story games. They could get there, just like any time in a trad game. You could get there when you're basically handing narrative control, which traditionally is completely owned by the GM, to the players. So basically you are allowing the players not only to affect their own character, but the setting at large. When we're talking about story games versus trad games, that's kind of where the distinction lies, in my opinion. Narrative control. So, <clears throat> I don't think the narrative control is really in 5e. It doesn't shift to the player. It does maybe further character background a little bit, but you still have to get it okayed by the GM, which... I mean, in most even story games, you're still having to get it okayed by the GM. But I think it's much more frowned upon in the story game O-Sphere for the GM to disagree with something the player comes up with, to shoot it down. In the story game O-Sphere, you're expected to accept it. And I think that's one of the problems that old school or trad players have. They're not used to putting on that hat they're not used to going any farther out of the layers of the game other than just running 
their character and they say that stepping up that layer going from immersed character to you have to do it a little bit when you look at your character sheet and try and figure things out but you go even higher when you're now asked how <clears throat> how you know the contact in slate home you're basically figuring that out whereas in trad games historically the gm would figure that out so yeah and uh as far as uh hex crawl stuff yeah i think that is the purview of the trad game but i do think that other systems have been using it uh including story games i mean it's kind of what dungeon world beyond the wall it, all those games are removing it completely from the purview of the gm uh, the narrative control of that and shifting it to the player, which makes them story games. This is why these games aren't necessarily OSR if you believe that OSR has to do with the trad mechanics that those old school games originally were created with. Okay, so that was a lot. Uh, I appreciate the call in immensely. Thank you very much. And uh, it's always good to hear somebody else you know, feeling like I do, where it's good to shift these parts from other games and bolt them on uh, wherever you see fit, trying, in the end, to just have better games. Hey, Jason, Che, uh, just responding to your open call about story game elements in OSR gaming. All right, call me, like, ignorant, but I really don't know what you're talking about, to be honest with you. Um, story gaming is a really vague term for me. Um, it kind of means certain types of game I kind of think I don't like, but story game techniques, not sure about. Um, I guess there's stuff from Dungeon World or, um, you know, stuff like that. But I really, to be honest with you, you know, a bit of definition would be useful. Some examples of those things would be useful, and then I could probably give an opinion. Cheers, ma'am. And that was Mr. Che Webster of Roleplay Rescue. Thanks for calling in, Che. But I have to say I'm a little dumbfounded. Do you mean you haven't listened to the other... In a quarter mile. ...and not have to explain every single time what you're talking about? You can just say, story game, and then all the devoted fans, all ten of you out there, uh, would know what I mean. So I kind of went into it a little bit. Story game is just a game where there are mechanisms in play which shift narrative control from the traditional holder, which is the game master, and over to the players. Uh, fate, uh, powered by the apocalypse, um, all of the various versions of those games that are out there are all really kind of story games. Indie game is almost... Um, an equivalent to that indie game story game but with fate i wouldn't really call it an indie game because that company is kind of bigger so i don't know hopefully that helps but <clears throat> really what i mean is during play you can earn tokens uh, as a player and then you can use those tokens to actually take narrative control to say something's there or say no that isn't the way it is i actually know this guy and he's a friend of mine so it changes you know you're not using random stuff like reaction rolls and that which you would use in traditional games these are all things that are just decided during play be through uh, an exchange or shift of narrative control Hey Jason, it's Rich from Cockatrice Nuggets. 
So uh, I like to use some story game mechanics in my trad games. Um, I like to use any mechanics that I like in my game, right? Um, I guess 5e is a trad game, right? Kind of, sort of. Um, it's got some story gamey elements on the fringes there, but they don't really, um, they're not a tight meld to the system. So while we do use backgrounds, bonds, flaws, um, personality traits, those aren't integral to the system. Uh, I try to work them in as best as I can, but hey, you know. But so what I really, I think the thing I most use is questions and fronts. So I use, um, I have fronts set up from Dungeon World, from Apocalypse World. Um, I love that. I will use that in every game I, I play. Also questions. I do like to ask the players questions. How do you know that? But I asked that since 1st E. Uh, also, I have a question at the beginning of every session that's a personality question to help get them into character. That's all I got right now. There you have it. As he mentioned, Rich Frazier from Cockatrice Nuggets. Uh, one of the most uh, esoteric names for any podcast. And I think it fits right up there with uh, 3D Omega Chicken Coop. And there is a shout out to Eric Salzweedle. All right. So Rich was kind of going the other way, saying, yeah, 5e is a trad game, but it's got some uh, story game elements on the fringes. And it does. They all they all can. Uh, this isn't a hard and fast rule like any category. Uh, there's exclusions to everything. It's kind of the way life is. Uh, but I think out of all that that Rich sent in, I would be curious to hear more about these personality questions that he uh, puts out there in the beginning of the game in order to get people to think about their characters that's interesting and I understand what you're saying because I feel the same way I don't care what game I'm playing if there's something I like uh, and it's going to work and it's going to enhance play I'm going to use it and I think you all should too uh, the real question I guess is how many people do you know how many people are trying to do rules as written and not bolt on mechanics Surely there's some of us, and obviously there is. We've already said that. But um, I think that maybe I should talk a little bit about the games I usually play. So for all of you newer people to Random Screed, I run a game called Kalmada Live. Kalmada Live is using uh, a BX chassis or engine or whatever. So we're talking Moldvay Basic Expert game and uh, there's some house rules that we've pulled uh, from other games and uh, that campaign is a drop in drop out West Marches game so the game is always going on it doesn't matter who plays or if their characters live or die or whatever all the things that happen are all in continuity whether they are a face-to-face -face game with my group on a one-off playing Kalmada, whether we're at a con playing it face-to-face -face with people, or I'm playing it online with the 50-plus members of the Kalmada community, Kalmada community, it's always in-game. In so a lot of the same places are tread over and over. Uh, there are maps, there are methodologies that show people where other people have been, uh, stories, rumors all sorts of crazy fun stuff that uh, you probably read about one time back in the day so in that game very traditional rule set very so to hand narrative control over to the players 
would be very unusual in a situation like that. Uh, backgrounds are nominal and uh, optional. Uh, the lethality level is pretty high. I'd say 25 to 30 first time characters do not survive their first adventure into the jungles. Um, characters overall, there's probably a 25 survivability rate. There's maybe three characters that are fourth level in the campaign, which has 100 plus sessions and has been running for two years. Now, it's not always the same players. Uh, that's, the, that's one of the cool things about it. The players kind of shift and ebb as people get into the game and then kind of fall away from the game and then come back or one time and done or whatever. Um, but we use uh, save versus total party kill most often to do character sheets and whatever's on there is on there. It's not... Uh, it will give you like four words about your character like immaculately dressed, young, old, one-armed, whatever. These, that's it. That's all there is to the background of the character. It's up to the player to add anything, but the majority of the character's granularity and differences from other characters is the emergent play that happens at the table. And this is allowing yourself and your character to be you know, decided by random tables. This is all part of the game. Um, and if that's not something you like, then you probably shouldn't play it. But if you've never played a game like that, you should definitely play it. So actually getting into this game is uh, the $2 per month Patreon for Hobbs and Friends. Um, that's the game I usually run. I'm also running Castles and Crusades for a home group and uh, Basic Fantasy RPG Experiment uh, every other week on Thursdays for a group because I'm doing that with Colin at Spike Pit. There. There's a background for you, I guess. Did that really answer your question, Che? I hope so. Oh, sweet energy and creativity, how I have missed thou, thee, those things, both of you guys. Yeah, I have, and yesterday was a, a pretty good breakthrough for me. I ran Kalmata at 8 a.m. I got a bunch of uh, housework, homework type stuff done. I wrote uh, an entire adventure for Kalmata. The map is done, the writing is done, which is an anomaly. Normally I just have a map and I wing it from there. But this adventure is done. I mean, I could throw it in a zine right now. Uh, that would be sweet. I got to watch the Blackhawks game. Uh, I worked out for about a half hour, and I ran a couple miles. So it was a great day, and I'm hoping that is the norm. So I'm hoping you guys will get to see me at a high energy, high creativity level, which I feel hasn't been on Random Screed for a while. So, hey, winter is fucking over. It's springtime. Let's get some spring in our step, guys. Let's rock it. Uh, I don't know how else to cheer y'all going and get you right up there with me, but you probably are. You can hear it in my voice, right? All right, this brings me to the main topic, clerics. As I mentioned previously, I most often run uh, Kalmata and BX games 
and clerics at first level do not get a spell unless you have some house rule that allows them a uh, labyrinth lord or maybe a bonus spell with a high wisdom so in my recent Kalmata game I pulled uh, a little tweak out of a Hyperborea game that I played with Kevin Madison's or Dungeon Musings check out his podcast check out his YouTube channel both named aptly in a quarter mile turn dungeon musings so there's a plug for kevin madison anyway uh in hyperborea a lot of the monsters uh origin story or etymology or ecology of the monster is explained by uh the use of these otherworldly hyperboreans or lemurians or all of these cultures that came before uh cthulhu-esque uh, the particular adventure or location that the group was in in Kalmata does kind of have this old ones feel to it. The players don't know why. I know why, because I got all the narrative control. But uh, <laughs> I want in that Hyperborea game, we ran into some sturges, but the sturges of Hyperborea are like grown from lichen or moss. And they're blood absorbing and they can fly and they land on you and suck your blood. And I thought this was awesome. So I reskinned the uh, Sturges from BX into the Sturges of Hyperborea and gave them a single glowing baleful eye. And as those eyes flitted forward with a low keening, uh, the party about uh, poo pooed themselves. And anytime you can get the players uh, to poo-poo themselves just as their characters are uh, poo-pooing themselves, then I think that is a win. So what I want to talk to you guys about is nominally uh, <clears throat> connected to this. So after these messages, I'll be right back. So, in um, BX, a clerics can turn undead. That's an ability they get, and it's actually a fairly powerful because they can do it as you know often as they need to, and it's not limited by a number of uses per day. Um, but you know, it, it only is undead, and uh, it's very codified what amounts to undead. Whereas in Dungeon Crawl Classics, depending on uh, the deity or the power that the cleric worships, what he can unturn is different. It's really called turn unholy, and so there's different things that they can turn. So <clears throat> in this concept, why not in BX, where they don't even get a spell at first level, why wouldn't um, the patron of someone be able to turn these unholy creatures imbued with life by old ones or Cthulhu-esque monsters, Cthonic gods. Why not? That's my question. Come around. I don't have all day. Let me know. So anyway, I let the cleric uh, try to turn these uh, mossy sturges, and I think that was cool, and I think they thought it was cool, and I think it adds something to the game and gives first-level BX clerics something that they need. So that's it. This episode feels like it's kind of long, and the main topic is always short compared to the rest of the show, but it's poignant and hard-hitting. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. 
because it's better to burn out than to fade away.